You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glupker. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. We are in the second week, just started a new series on the life of Jacob, the Old Testament patriarch, a, a series entitled Struggle and Blessing. And I was thinking this week that if, uh, if there, someone was going to write the story of my life, I would prefer the title just be Blessing. I, I don't, don't need or want the struggle part. I just want, just want the blessing part. But the truth, of course, is that in our lives, struggle and blessing often go hand in hand. Struggle is part of life in a, a sinful, fallen world. And so Jacob's story, well, is certainly one of blessing, is, as we've started to see and we'll continue to see over the next several weeks, is also one of great struggle. And so I think his story is a grace and a gift to us because that's much more like our experience of life. God has blessed us, and yet we know what it is to struggle. We know what it is to have hard times and difficulties and discouragements. And so I pray that we learn greatly from Jacob in his life as we think about struggle and blessing. Genesis 27 this morning is where we'll be. And we want to consider what is, for I suppose, for most of us, a well-known story about Jacob and his brother Esau and his parents Isaac and Rebekah. But let's, let's read this story here together and then consider what it is that God wants to say to us as we look at it here. So Genesis 27, and I'll start reading in verse 1. This is God's word. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he couldn't see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Isaac went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I'll seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. 
So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Well, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, uh, Please come near that, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring him near to me that I may eat out of my son's game and bless you. So he brought him near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Well, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau's brother came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father and he said to his father, well, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully. He has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. 
Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I'll send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Let's pray. Father, as we consider this story from your word, Lord, I pray your spirit who inspired these words and guided the events of this story would instruct and teach us and that we need to see better who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. We need to see better who we are, what we've done and what our hearts and lives are doing. We, we need that clarity and that wisdom that only your word can give us. So I pray that you would work now in our hearts and minds and lives through your word, that we would understand it, that we would believe it, we'd embrace it as true and good and profitable and that you would use it to change our lives for your glory and for our joy, eternal joy in you. I pray that you do this in Jesus' name, amen. Stories are interesting things. A number of years ago, there was a movie, probably many of you have seen it, a movie in which a man who works for the CIA or some such organization has his daughter kidnapped away from him by this horrible network of sex traffickers and all of this. It's, a, it's a, really quite an interesting movie. And he goes about with his special set of skills to improbably get his daughter back and in the meantime, mete out justice on all of these horrible, evil people. In a lot of ways, it's a very satisfying movie because it's very obvious who the good guys are and the bad guys are. And right down through the whole story, the bad guys just get what's coming to them. And it's just very, it's very satisfying. Like, that's exactly what ought to happen. These are terrible people. They deserve what happens. The story in that way is morally very clear. Well, a couple of years before that movie came out, I saw a movie. I hadn't really planned to see it. It was one of those things where you go to the theater and you're like, what are we going to watch? And we started to watch a very different sort of movie. It was a movie about the war on drugs. And uh, it was very difficult to figure out who the good guys were in this story. You start off thinking, well, it's the law enforcement, but in this story, they're really bad too. And so then you think, well, the bad guys are the drug dealers and cartels, but it's they're not presented as quite so bad as you might normally think. And in, instead of being a very morally clear movie, it was a very morally ambiguous movie and enormously frustrating. I think it's the only movie I ever, about two-thirds of the way through the movie, I got up with the person I was with and like, let's just leave. This is, this is a terrible movie, right? And, and that might have been, in retrospect, the entire point. Uh, they might have been trying to say that the war on drugs is a morally ambiguous uh, effort and it, it might have been the entire point of the movie as it were but a very dissatisfying story. It wasn't clear who the good guys were. The moral lines were not obvious and well-drawn. Justice didn't seem to get meted out. It was a very unsatisfying story. Our story this morning about Jacob is a lot more like that second movie. The lines aren't very clear. The characters are often morally ambiguous. Who are the good characters in the story? Who do we root for in this episode? Who deserves the blessing? It's not real clear. And we know that Jacob is the central character. This whole section, 10 or 11 chapters of the Bible are all about him, but his actions here are, are hardly honorable. Right? 
Nobody's reading this with their kids and family devotion saying, I want you to be just like Jacob's son. Hmm. In fact, the entire Jacob story, 11 chapters of it here in the middle of Genesis, we find that Jacob is himself a very morally ambiguous person. Makes lots of questionable choices. Lots of poor decisions. Scheming, deceiving, mistreating. Otherwise living in ways we wouldn't want to imitate. But while the good guys in this story are hard to find, the fundamental issue here in Genesis 27 is obvious. This is a story about blessing. Blessing is the issue. Repeatedly in the story, Isaac wants it for one son. Rebekah wants it for the other. Jacob is conniving to get it at whatever risk and by whatever means. Esau is desperate to have it and brokenhearted when he doesn't get it. It's a story about blessing. But what, what is this blessing exactly? What, what is it that's at stake that, that drives these people, it would seem, to such behavior? A number of years ago, when I was a kid, probably a teenager, uh, our church uh, showed a film series called The Blessing. I might have told you about this before, uh, based on a book by, I think it's Gary Smalley and John Trent, about The Blessing. And uh, I was six, eight, you know, it was a, he would set up a, this thing we'd set up on top of the pews in our church with a reel-to-reel projector, that kind of film series. We haven't done one of those in a while, uh, probably won't. It started with the significance of blessing in the Bible and how important blessing is in stories like this one here in Genesis 27. And it goes on to talk about what it does for people when they don't get the blessing from their parents, and especially from their fathers. And so in a lot of ways, this film series was about the father wounds that people develop who don't receive the blessing, who don't get the affirmation and the approval, the I love you and I'm proud of you from their parents. And it was really a powerful series. I remember I was probably 13, 14 years old thinking, man, I hope when I'm a dad, I give my kids the blessing, right? It's a big deal. It sees, the film does, the blessing in essentially psychological categories like acceptance and concern for self-esteem. Those are important, but that's not really what this blessing is about. Esau despairs of not receiving his father's blessing, but it's, it's not the psychological pain of rejection. Esau, Isaac wants to bless Esau. Esau is his favorite. Esau and everyone else knows it. Isaac's proud of Esau. He loves him. He's the preferred son. So it's not rejection. It's not psychological categories that lead to Esau's sorrow. It's something much more concrete and tangible. We can see what it is because we can read the blessing itself. I look in the middle of the chapter at the middle of verse 27. Look at verse, the middle of verse 27. We can read exactly how Jacob intends to bless his son. He says, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field the Lord has blessed. He says, may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. So the first part of the blessing is about material prosperity. May God make your efforts. Again, this is an agricultural society. May God make you fruitful. 
wealthy, well provided for with every good and every luxury and everything you could need. The first part of the blessing is material prosperity. The second part, look at verse 28 or verse 29. Let peoples serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. It's not just about material prosperity. It's also about social advantage. He's saying, may you be esteemed. May you rule over your brothers. May you rule over peoples. You, the blessing is you're going to be the top dog. It's material prosperity, and that's significant, but it's also significant social advantage that Isaac is blessing his son with. But there's still one more part. Look at the last part of verse 29. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, we've heard something like that before. If we were to go back to Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and makes great promises to him. And in the end of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, he says, well, verse, Genesis 12 verse 3 says this, I will bless those who bless you. I, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, this blessing that Isaac is pronouncing on Jacob, because he intends to pronounce it on Esau, this blessing is about much more than just the lives of Jacob and Esau themselves. It's about much more than material prosperity and social advantage. It's about their descendants. It's about their family, their posterity extending on down forever. See, Jacob and Esau know, they must know about the promises made to their grandfather Abraham. They must know about that, about God's plan made to Isaac, repeated again to their, or made to Abraham, repeated again to their father Isaac, that from their seed, from their family, would one day come a person who would crush the serpent and accomplish God's saving purposes in the world so that through their family, all nations of the earth would be blessed. They must know about that. But it wouldn't and it couldn't be every descendant of Abraham. No, it was going to be a particular line. Of course, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. But the promise doesn't go to Ishmael, it goes to Isaac. Isaac now has two sons, Jacob and Esau. They won't both be the line of promise. But both of them want to be. Both of them want to inherit that blessing. So the material prosperity and the social advantage part of the blessing, though they're nice, they're, they're really of small value long term compared to the spiritual heritage that's included. But it isn't clear how important that spiritual heritage actually was to them. It's not clear how concerned they really are. Every character in the story is after the blessing, either for themselves or for their preferred child. They want God's favor. They want his care. They want his provision in their lives. They want his good promises to come true in them and through them. But what's driving their attitudes and actions doesn't seem to be faith in God or his promises or confidence in his love or a desire for God's glory. That doesn't seem to be what's driving them. In other words, they're a lot like we tend to be. We want God's blessing and favor. We want His promises and grace to be true in our lives. 
but we struggle while we wait for Him. Often we're not driven by faith in God's promises. Often we're not driven by confidence in His love. Often we're not driven by a desire for His glory. And so what we do is we move outside of God's plan, outside of God's timing, outside of His will and ways as revealed in His Word, and it ends up costing us big time. The things that drove these characters in the story are the kinds of things that often drive us too. Let's consider them. Consider, first of all, Isaac, driven by his appetites. Driven by his appetites. Look at the first part of the chapter in verses 3 and 4. He calls in Esau and he says, Take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go to the field and hunt game. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love. Bring it to me so that I may eat and my soul may bless you before I die. Go make me food. We, we saw back in chapter 25 that Jacob or es- Isaac loved Esau. Esau was his favorite because Esau made a food, a stew, that Isaac loved. It was, think about that for a minute. Imagine you come to me and you say, Ben, Ben, which one of your kids is your favorite? And, and I'm dumb enough to think and go, well, which one is? You know, and I think through this for a second. After a while, I say, uh, my favorite is probably Evelyn. And you say, why? And I say, she makes this pasta dish that is unbelievable. And you go, seriously? Seriously? You, you decided to have favorites and bring that into your family? And you made the decision based on a pasta dish? Oh, but you haven't had the pasta dish. That's ridiculous. We don't know a ton about Isaac, but one of the things we know is that he's chosen a favorite son because his son makes a a meat dish of wild game that he loves. And so when the time comes, or at least he perceives it's time to offer this blessing, what does he do? Hey, go make that. Go make that stew for me. Love that, right? And, And I'll bless you. This favoritism toward Isaac, rooted in Isaac's, or toward Esau, rooted in Isaac's appetites, leads the family into trouble. Look back just a couple verses to the end of chapter 26. We read this earlier in our service. Just a couple short verses, but really important for the story. Look at verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau, at 40 years of old, takes wives from the people of the land. Now, now think, think how different that was than Isaac's own experience. His father Abraham had come into the promised land, but when it came time to, need, to get a wife for Isaac, do you remember what Abraham did? He called in his most trusted servant and he said, listen to me, you swear to me you won't give a wife for my son Isaac from this land. You, you go back, go back to our family, our people back in Mesopotamia, and you bring a wife from our people back, not from one of these pagan people around here. And the, the servant goes back, to, and he brings back Rebekah, Isaac's wife, for him. What happens when it's time for Esau to get married? Apparently nothing like that. Isaac, at some level, has gone along with Esau's poor choice. It's not like Esau ran off to Vegas and came back with two new wives. 
saying, look, I'm married, right? This, uh, marriage in the ancient world is a big family affair. Even if he wasn't totally excited about it, at some level, Isaac has signed off on it. He's been involved in this. And the result is, life is bitter for him and Rebecca. It's a terrible mess in their family. Isaac hasn't been a good father. Maybe he didn't want trouble with Esau. Maybe he's afraid Esau would get angry, stop making him his favorite dish. Isaac's driven by his appetites. And he forgoes the leadership that he should be taking in his family. This is most obvious and most pronounced in his determination to bless and favor Esau, even though he must have known that God's intention was for this blessing to go to Isaac. Or Esau, Jacob. His names, I I reread my notes earlier today and I had to change the names like nine times. Esau, Isaac determined to bless Esau, even though the promise was clearly for Jacob. He wants to bless Esau before he dies, he says. He isn't actually close to death. We don't know how old he is. He's at least 100. He was 60 when the, Jacob and Esau were born. 40 years later, um, Esau's married. So we, I, Isaac is at least 60 years old. He, he lives to 180. We know Jacob's going to be gone for 20 years and come back and find Isaac still alive. So he's going to live anywhere from 20 to 80 more years. He's not close, actually, to death, although he may believe himself to be. But the blessing for the oldest child ought to have been, and presumably usually was, a very public affair. A very private, not a a private ceremony, right? He invites Esau into the privacy of his room and says, hey, go make me that one dish that I love and then come back here and I'll bless you. He's scheming, driven by his appetites. This blessing ought to be a public affair. Be it known to everybody that the blessing, the social advantage, the material prosperity, this goes to this son. But he's doing it behind closed doors. Just him and Esau is his plan. It's driven by his appetites. The result is everyone in the family is out to get something from Isaac. They're scheming and conniving and deceiving him to get it. Rather than conforming his desires to God's desires or God's will or God's plan, he chases his own appetites, and in the long run, it brings he and his family heartache. Of course, you and I can be a lot like that too, can't we? What God has promised us or commanded us just kind of fades into the background. We've got plans. We're in a hurry. We have desires. Why wait on God's time? Why do it in God's way? We just want to get the blessing now. And so we chase it in ways that are outside of God's will and contrary to God's word and outside of his plan. We know what God wants, but we're ruled by what we want. That never works out well for us in the long run, just like it didn't for Isaac. But Isaac's not the only one. He's driven by his desires, by his appetites. Rebecca is driven by fear. She's driven by fear. Uh, in verses 5 through 17, after she listens in and hears es- uh, Isaac's plan for Esau, she calls her son Jacob and says, hey, look, this is what's going down. You need to go. We need to get in ahead of this. We'll prepare a dish. You can sneak in. Jacob, of course, is like, well, wait, that's, that's risky if he discovers who it is. If it doesn't work, he's going to curse me and not bless me. She says, no, no, I, she says, the curse be on me, she says. I'm gonna go, you go in. I'll prepare the dish. You get the blessing instead of your brother. 
That's not a good marriage. That's not good parenting. It's a risky plan. It's wrong. It's deceptive. It's manipulative. It's risky. Time is of the essence. Jacob has to get in there and get out before Esau comes back. No wonder he's in a hurry. No wonder he basically says, hey, I brought the food. Eat up. Bless me. Let's get this done. It's a risky plan. Amazingly, it works. It's amazing. Although Isaac is careful, it would seem. He's five times. In verse 18, he's like, who are you, my son? In verse 20, he's like, how is it that you found it so quickly? In verse 21, please come near that I can feel you. In verse 24, he says, are you really my son Esau? In verse 27, he even smells. Mm, yeah, smells like Esau. Isaac's trying, but he's deceived. Jacob is blessed. Rebecca's scheme seemingly works, but it's a costly victory. It's a costly victory. Her older son now hates his brother, wants him dead. So her favorite son, Jacob, the homebody that she loved so much, has to leave home, has to travel a great distance away to be safe from his older brother. He'll be gone for 20 years. It does not appear that Rebecca ever sees him again, her favorite son. Perhaps she saw all of this as the sacrifice she just had to make to ensure that her favorite got the blessing. But she didn't have to do that. She didn't have to sacrifice the peace and integrity of her family for Jacob. God had already declared that Jacob was the child of promise. No matter what it must have seemed as she listened in on Isaac and Esau's plans, there was no way they were going to thwart God's plan. There was no way that God was going to fail to keep his promise to bless and work through Jacob, her favored son. So her fear that God's promise wouldn't come true led her to take matters into her own hands, and that led to great pain and sorrow and conflict down the road. Did her plan work? Well, yes, but at a great cost. What fears are driving you? What fears are driving you? If you're in Christ, through faith in the gospel, God has made enormous and sure promises to you. You stand to inherit great, unfathomable blessing and joy forever with God through Christ. For those of us who are in Christ, our future is blessed and secure and certain. But in the meantime, our fears all too often make us falter. We lose sight of that promise. It seems a long ways away. We start to doubt His Word. And rather than waiting on God's timing or trusting His promises or obeying His Word, we start to fear that that blessing never will really be ours, and then we start to take action to make things happen. No, I've got to secure my happiness, my blessing, my prosperity. I've got to secure it now. So we don't wait on Him. We act at the wrong time and in the wrong way. We go contrary to his word because we gotta, we got to make things happen. We're not confident in his promises, so we cut corners ethically or biblically to make things happen and turn out the way we think they should. We're not as happy and blessed right now as we want to be, so we disobey his word, seek blessings in ways and in places that we shouldn't. 
We're driven by fear rather than faith. We're driven by a short-sighted fear rather than a far-sighted faith. And we do this besides dishonoring God as we doubt his promises. We make a mess of things. We never, we never decide to, to help God or move ahead of God or away from God in his word and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to secure my happiness or my prosperity or my blessing on my own. Cutting corners biblically or ethically, we never do that and end up like, well, that was a good trick. Yeah, no, we always end up regretting it. It always ends up costing us in the long run because God's ways are not only right, they're good. We're driven by fear rather than faith. We make a mess of things. Similarly with Jacob, Isaac was driven by his appetites, Rebekah by her fear. Jacob is driven by his ambitions. He'll deceive and manipulate to get what he wants. He's supposed to mediate God's blessing to people, but he's grasping to get it all for himself. And it comes back around to get him too. If you know the rest of Jacob's story, you you know what happens to him. He steals the, the blessing for sure, but he immediately has to leave his father's house for good. He leaves with not much more than the shirt on his back. He'll go to his uncle Laban, work there hard labor for 20 years. His uncle Laban will deceive him by giving the wrong daughter in marriage. It's like Jacob deceived his father. He'll cheat him, Laban will, by changing his wages and depriving him of what he's due, not unlike the way Jacob cheated Esau out of the blessing. Many years later, Jacob's sons, his older sons, will deceive him about Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. They'll suggest to Jacob that he's dead. Actually, they've sold him into slavery. He's a long ways away. As Jacob himself will say, we saw last week, late in his life, Jacob will say, few and evil have been the days of my my journey. Life has been hard. It's been a struggle. He sows deception and manipulation and conflict, and that's exactly what he reaps how much better would it have been for him to wait patiently on god to fulfill his promises to him how much better it would be for us to wait patiently on god and his promises our sin and mistreatment of others never goes unpunished we also reap what we sow well one last character esau esau driven we see at the end of the story by his anger verse 41 esau hated jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. It doesn't even say anger about being cheated or having it stolen, although no doubt that is true. He's angry because Jacob had it, and Esau wanted it. He wanted what Jacob had stolen from him. On one hand, it's understandable. We might even be tempted to feel a little sorry for Esau. But this anger is incredibly revealing of Esau's heart. It's the material prosperity, it's the social advantage that Esau wants. That's the part of the blessing he's really after. It's the the worldly part of the blessing that he shed tears over that provokes his anger. There's never any sense that he longs for God's spiritual blessing. There's never any apparent spiritual concern. His marriage of the Hittite women suggests that to us. He's unconcerned about God's plan and will and ways. He's concerned about worldly blessing, not so much about spiritual blessing. He is like, well, a lot of people today. Many people regret the mistakes of their earlier years. They regret the missed opportunities. They regret the ways they may feel they've been cheated or mistreated. But all too often, there's never any real heart change. 
Worldly regrets, yes, but not spiritual ones. See, if Esau's heart had really changed, if it was really concerned about God's spiritual blessing, he could have had it. Remember how the blessing of Jacob ended? Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. If, if Esau had simply gone to his brother Jacob, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, and asked for God's blessing, he would have gotten it. He would have gotten it. Oh, for sure, the line was going to go through Jacob, but, but Esau could have had a share in that. He could have been blessed with his brother Jacob. But he was driven by anger, by a sense of entitlement, by a sense of I should have. He was focused on worldly blessing, not spiritual blessings. He could have received God's blessing, but as far as we know, he never did. In fact, there's a lot like two other brothers earlier in Genesis named Cain and Abel. Both offer sacrifices to God. Cain's is rejected. Abel's is accepted. And what does God come to Abel and, or Cain and say? He says, why, why are you so downcast? If, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? If you do what's right, you'll be accepted too. And what does Cain do? He could do what's right. He could repent and turn and go back to God. And instead, he kills his brother, the very thing Esau wishes to do with his brother. If Esau does what's right, he'll be accepted and blessed too. That's not what he's interested in. He's not interested in spiritual blessings. He's interested in worldly, temporal blessings. Jacob and Esau will reconcile later in life, but not because Esau comes to him for spiritual blessing. Now Esau gains material blessing in other ways. And so when they finally come back together, Esau's like, I got plenty, I'm fine. That all can be water under the bridge now because he's gotten the earthly blessing he craves. But never, never the spiritual one. Never the eternal blessing that comes with trusting God and giving your life to him. How many people today are like Esau? Passionate about worldly material blessing with or without God, but ambivalent about spiritual blessing. Oh, they would, like Esau does back in chapter 25, they would trade God's eternal spiritual blessings for a short-term bowl of stew, for immediate temporary gratification. And they, like Esau, will someday, whether in tears or in anger, know the most profound regret. Esau, here at the end of the story, begs for a blessing with tears. Just imagine, he's a... Do you have but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even also me. He seeks the blessing with tears. But it's too late. It's too late for him. And Esau, in this, the New Testament indicates, is a warning for all of us. Esau is a warning for all of us. There will come a time when it's simply too late anymore to receive God's favor and eternal blessing. There will come a time when it's too late. Whether we're driven from it by our appetites, our fears, our ambitions, our anger, or whatever else, there will come a time when it's too late to turn to God and receive His blessing and eternal favor. We don't know when that time will be when it's too late. It might be soon, but it's not too late right now. It's not too late right now. Esau needed to turn to God's chosen man, his own brother Jacob, 
Jacob was the mediator of God's blessing. Through Jacob would people be blessed by God. Esau needed to turn to God's chosen man, his brother, and you and I need to turn to God's chosen man too, Jesus, God's own son. But the son of God, Jesus Christ, was not like Jacob. Jesus wasn't scrambling to get his own. He wasn't chasing and grasping for a blessing. He wasn't worried that he might not get the blessing, but instead get a curse. No, he, he came willingly, knowingly, purposefully to take the curse that we deserve on himself. He came to bear the curse. On the cross, the sin and condemnation that my sin and yours deserves to receive, Jesus willingly takes on himself. He says, I'll take the punishment that you deserve so that every person who comes to him in faith, who turns from sin, who turns from a preoccupation with worldly blessing and, and becomes concerned instead for the spiritual eternal blessings that only God can offer, every person that comes to him in faith receives forgiveness. He takes the curse. We get the eternal, sure, glorious blessing. Eternal life with God. There are some people here who this morning need to turn to God in that kind of faith, who need to put their trust in Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time, need to put their trust in God through Jesus Christ. Let me urge you not to wait. Someday it will be too late. But it's not too late right now. Right now you could turn to God in humble, repentant faith and receive His sure promise of eternal blessing in life with Him. Many of you are already trusting in God. But many of us who are, we, we struggle. We get distracted. Too often we're driven by these other things, by our desires and our fears, our ambitions and our anger. We need a great confidence that God is working for our good. We need a great confidence that he is accomplishing unfailingly his good purposes in our lives. You know, Esau was upset that his brother Jacob had messed up the blessing he deserved. Maybe that's the way you and I are. Maybe there's somebody in your life who you think is messing up God's plans for you. But I think what more often happens is we look at our lives and we think, no, I've messed up God's good plan for my life. I've screwed it up. I've botched it. It's probably too late for me because look at my story. Look at my past. Look at the decisions I've made. Look what I've put myself and my family through. Probably too late for me. And if that's the case, I just want you to see in this story in Genesis 27 that God accomplishes His saving good purposes in messy families, messy lives, messy, messed up people, and it can't be stopped. It simply can't be stopped. God is purposed, determined to save and bless his people. This family, if any family, they try to mess it up. They're all trying to mess it up. But God's purposes can't fail. And they can't fail in your life if you come to him in humble, repentant faith. Don't be distracted by these other things. Don't get outside of his time and his will and his way, thinking, I've got to make things happen. I've got to cut corners ethically or biblically to pursue my happiness. I can't do it God's way this time because at time's running out. I've, no, time's not running out. God is accomplishing his purposes in your life. No matter how much you've messed it up, and we've all messed it up, God is faithful to his promises. We need to take him at his word. Nothing can derail his good plans for his people. 
It is for us simply to return to Him over and over and over again in humble, repentant faith. And may God give us grace to do just that. Let me pray with you. Father, I pray for myself, for each of my brothers and sisters here. Lord, we, we have heard Your good promises to us. We've heard the good news of Your Son, the Savior, who demonstrated his love for us, and that even though we are sinners, he died for us. Even though we've given you every reason not to show us blessing, favor, and grace, you have purposed to save sinful, broken people like us. So, Father, I pray. I pray that we would believe your word, that we would not be distracted, preoccupied with short-term, nearsighted, worldly blessings at the cost of long-term, far-sighted, faith father there is for your people a glorious sure wonderful future eternity is very long this life is brief and so i pray for great grace i pray for my own heart pray for each of my brothers and sisters here that they would have a long-term far-sighted faith in your promises that they wouldn't be tempted to prioritize the worldly over the spiritual the the temporary over the eternal to to cut corners ethically or, or biblically, to try to force things to happen in, in our own time frame or in our own way, but we would simply trust in you and in our word. Father, I pray that you would spare. Many of us would be tempted this week to make decisions, to treat people in ways, to move forward in ways that, that seem like they'll help us now, but will actually hurt us and the people we care about in the long run. We will, if left alone, make a mess of a lot of things, so I pray you're restraining guiding grace on each of us this week. Father, I pray, maybe here this morning, Father, somebody who, who's never turned to you in faith in your Son, who's never put their hope in Christ, never acknowledged their need for your blessing, their total inability to get it on their own and look to you in humble, repentant faith. I pray that you would change that heart this morning, right now. Grant them the gift of faith. May they turn to you in belief and trust in the good promises of your glorious Son, Jesus. Father, as we move toward the communion table here, I pray that we would remember Christ together and delight in him together. In Jesus' name, amen.